automate, survive, thrive. The time is now. The Automation Alliance podcast brought to you by RapidMation. Hey everyone, today I'm extremely excited to have Greg Miller on the show. Greg has been in the IT industry for 25 years and he's the executive director and co-founder of a company called Fathom. For those who may not have heard of Fathom, it's an AI platform that enables companies and governments globally to create economic and social value from the impact of emerging technologies and the future of work. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you, Greg. And thanks for joining us to share some of your invaluable knowledge in this space. So, Greg, you and I connected fairly recently, and I've learned a little bit about Fathom and uh, how it's helping both companies and employees. But just before we get to the Fathom part of the story, for any of the viewers and listeners who may not know you just yet, could you take us through a whirlwind tour of your career to date? Sure. Uh, So originally from the US, although I live in uh, Australia these days and for the past uh, 20 odd years. Um, so I uh, started off uh, for, the, for the big end of town in the Oracle uh, arena in San Francisco and uh, then uh, went into way back then to the dot-com era and my first startup uh, had a successful outcome there, which was uh, pretty exciting at the time as a, as a young man in, in San Francisco, but uh, then uh, moved overseas, came down to, to Sydney, uh, worked for the likes of PeopleSoft and Siebel Systems uh, across the Asia Pacific region. So I got my first taste of, of Asia and working here and the different uh, nuances of business here. Um, and then uh, after running uh, SAP in Australia, founded Fathom with my uh, co-founder, uh, Michael Prittis. Uh, and yeah, that's been a, a wild last five years, uh, getting Fathom off the ground, completely bootstrapped. Uh, and then uh, right on through to customer acquisitions you know, around the world and uh, having, a, having a great time. Yeah, brilliant. It reminds me a little bit of my journey because I spent, uh, I grew up in South Africa and then I was in the UK for a long time, spent some time in the US, but you and I have both found our way down to Sydney, Australia, right? So uh, is this home for you now, Greg? Are you convinced as I am that this is a great place to live? Oh, definitely. There's no going back (laughs) and no going anywhere else as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. All right, brilliant. Well, thanks very much for taking us through that at the beginning part of your journey there, right? But uh, let's talk about Fathom. So for the viewers and listeners that may not have heard of Fathom before, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is, what you do, and what your guys' why is? Sure. So uh, when we started Fathom, you know, there was a, a lot of uh, noise about uh, the future of work. And in fact, you know, then it was the Frey and Osborne report uh, telling us that you know, half of us were going to be replaced by robots. Uh, quite scary. Uh, but in the midst of all that, uh, Mike and I uh, kind of looked around the world and, and saw there was no tool out there, no data, nothing really uh, specific to a, a business leader or a government leader to take action, uh, to respond to that potential threat, if it was a threat. Uh, and so that was really the, the genesis of Fathom. You know, we saw that as an opportunity, uh, but also a real big problem statement. You know, I was uh, if I'm concerned about this issue, do I have what I need to go and take action and prepare my people uh, for that future state? Yeah. So that, that was the birth of Fathom, I suppose. Uh, you know, we then evolved us at some level into uh, setting our why being, hey, everyone needs to prepare themselves for that. Um, you know, so it's to the individual, to the governments that look after the individuals and to the corporates. Um, you know, we all have a role to play in this and, and how do we prepare people for the future of work so they stay employable. And that's really what's driven us, that mission to make sure everyone stays employable as these technologies uh, come into being. 
Yeah. Mate, what a, what a beautiful mission statement, right? And it's such an interesting space to be in, right? So here at Reformation, we're all about intelligent automation. And I'm a firm believer that automation is all about people and how we help people do more with less, right? But saying that, I think you touched on it, there's certainly no shortage in the press around how automation is going to take people's jobs, how it's going to replace people and all of those types of things. So take us through some of your thoughts on that. You bet. And I think that was, again, the, the Fran Osborne report got us thinking, mm. uh, shocked us maybe into action, but was very flawed uh, in, its, uh, in, in the way it was built. Uh, and so the first thing we did was go about trying to fill some of those gaps. And the, the first of those was to identify that this was not just about automation, right? That augmentation of work, and I'll explain what that is in a moment, but and also the addition of new jobs ultimately in the economy were big parts of this that were being lost within the media conversation. So what we do at Thousand is our, our AI will assess a workforce and come back and give us new data uh, for that organization perhaps, or that country to say, okay, here are the jobs at risk of automation uh, based on the tasks in those jobs. But now we, we understand that and we can take action. Yeah. But more importantly, here are the jobs more likely to be augmented, right? And those jobs being augmented, that's freeing up capacity, you know, hopefully newfound productivity then that can be applied in that uh, business or in that economy. And then addition, right? What new jobs are we going to need in that future state to either you know, operate, run, maintain those technologies, uh, but also new jobs we haven't even dreamt of yet that are going to be required uh, in that future state as well. So I think all three of those need to be taken into consideration when we talk about the impacts of intelligent automation and how we prepare people and move them forward and upskill and reskill simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and while naturally there will be some jobs that are lost along the way or they might fade away, um, I always tell people there's going to be many, many, many more jobs that will be created, right? So often use the analogy of kind of someone like a social media manager or a search engine optimization specialist when arguably 15, 20 years ago, those jobs just simply did not exist. Um, and those are kind of very popular jobs today, right? So I love the fact that Fathom is all about this responsible automation. And what I mean by that is the ability to retain, retrain, and redeploy your workforce. And I took that off your website, and I really like that, and those words really resonate with me, right? Um, but while we cannot protect all jobs, we can protect people, and that kind of comes back to your guys' why and why you do what you do. So companies already have some amazing people inside them and in their businesses, and it's all about taking these people that you already have and making them future-ready. So for the viewers and listeners, can you take us through the journey of how you get started working with companies and what journey they go on if they start working with Fathom? Sure. You know, I think we've, we've met a lot of organizations over the past five years. Uh, you know, we have clients in 26 countries around the world uh, and pretty much every industry. Uh, what we've learned along that journey is that not all of them are at the same level of maturity. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to either the implementations of technologies, the understanding of that flow and effect to people that you just mentioned, uh, or their own you know, strategic workforce planning, or let's face it, predominantly workforce planning. It's not, yeah. not always strategic in nature. So that, I think for us, the learning of that maturity curve that many organizations are on, no matter how big uh, or small they are, I think that was an important uh, step in our own uh, process. But now that we do have a, a good gauge on that, uh, knowing that when we come into an organization, we're typically either coming in through uh, one of the HR functions. You know, this might be a learning and development um, uh, kind of proposition or use case, uh, or 
Uh, more recently, what we're seeing is we're coming in through the actual heads of intelligent automation. Uh, and, and look, you know, that's, a, that's a relatively new role in itself, yeah. if you think uh, longer term. Uh, so, you know, we're now starting to see those heads of intelligent automation say, hang on, I'm bringing in the technologies, uh, hopefully to remove some of these mundane tasks, even harmful tasks, perhaps, create a, a better work experience and well-being for my employees. Uh, but when I do that, I know that there's going to be people impact. So these automation leads actually bringing the data to HR and then working together. And, and I think that's a new phenomenon, that, that connection between tech uh, or CIO's office and CHRO's office. That's not a natural connection. Yeah. That, and, and we've learned that there's a new phenomenon happening where we're seeing these two executive teams come together uh, because I think the tech strategy, and the people strategy need to be much more aligned. Uh, for a successful outcome, not just for the individuals uh, and their livelihoods, but also for the organizations uh, that they operate in. Yeah, absolutely right. And and one of the founding principles of us here at Rapid Major was how we bring together the worlds of humans and software bots, right? So how we combine those two things, techs and humans together to get to the best outcome. So it certainly resonates with me really, really nicely there as well. Um, and in your experience, I mean, you guys have got heaps of customers all over the world. Does Fathom lend itself to a particular size company or industry a bit better than others? Well, I, I think... <laughs> Where maybe Fred Osborne had something right was this is impacting everyone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but at varying levels. And again, for some, a very positive outcome, but it's different for every organization. Uh, I'd say the one thing I've learned over this journey is um, size of company is not uh, maybe the, the measure because I've been with some 600 employee organizations that have been using Fathom, implementing technology and reskilling and upskilling people uh, because their management team understands the importance of it and the impact and they're investing in making decisions and taking action. I've been you know, working with companies of 50,000 employees who have bigger problems to face, but the management team isn't aligned with the issue, the impact and the investment. And so they struggle. And it gets, comes back to that maturity discussion. Yeah. So I think size of company, uh, less important uh, than the investments the CEO and the board are making to put this topic, uh, you know, I've, I've started referring it to it as sustainable automation as well, because, you know, I might think I need to go out and hire a bunch of new skills, data analysts, data science, cyber, you know, I need to go get those new skills. So I'm going to, my, my historic way of operating is I would shed the old skills, mm -hmm. right? make redundancies and whatnot, and go hire the new, but that's a, a false economy. Th those new jobs and new skills aren't just sitting out waiting for my phone call. So there's a, a harsh reality that I need to take my current workforce and upskill them and reskill them to fulfill on the needs of my new business and those new roles. So I think size is, is kind of less important as, as that executive alignment. I think from an industry perspective, uh, we've seen a kind of by far and away the most active uh, two sectors for us have been financial and insurance services um, and then maybe government. Uh, but I'd say for very different reasons. Uh, the, the financial services industry we're finding is investing more rapidly in technology. Uh, you know, the, the margins, I suppose, are there for them to make those investments. Therefore, they're driving greater level of people impact and needing to adjust and, and prepare for that. Whereas government, you know, has the same, I suppose, dilemma on the, their employees, right, as in terms of the impact on those employees, maybe 
a bigger problem in, in the upskilling uh, area, given the skill sets there. But they also have carriage of all of us, right? So the other side of government being, you know, looking after all their constituents. And so that's, you know, economy-wide uh, actions. So a very different um, space than, say, banking. But, you know, they've got both issues to address, the, the economy-wide issue and their own employees. So yeah, I'd say those are the, the two biggest sectors uh, that we see the activity in. But the reality is, uh, again, we've got clients in pretty much every industry on the planet. So uh, uh, there's no one who's avoiding this impact. It's just what are they doing to take advantage uh, of this impact? Yeah, absolutely, right. And, and along that journey, I mean, you, you've again, you've given some really great examples there, right? What, what is your shining light? I mean, do you have a great customer story or perhaps there mm -hmm. was someone that got involved in the program that they evolved quite significantly? Tell us a bit about some of that. Oh, wow. Uh, there's so many good ones uh, along the way. Even so, we have an employee at Works for Fathom uh, who was an um, engine mechanic uh, and is now a software engineer. And he, you know, he loves telling his, his story of how he transitioned but, uh, and the impact he's having on, on Fathom itself. But uh, look, if I, if I go back through the years, actually, one of my favorites is probably one of our first customers. Uh, they were a, a big uh, steel manufacturer. And uh, one of the most at-risk jobs that Fathom had identified uh, was a machinist. And uh, there was a lot of them. And so the potential impact was, was immense if the technologies or when the technologies came in and, and, and impacted those jobs. Now, it just so happened they also made um, roofing products. And so one of the things that Fathom can do is identify uh, what we call job corridors. So if I'm in a job at high risk, what's the best corridor to take me through to get to a job that is paid about the same as my current job, but is less at risk than my current job uh, and has a decent, uh, short enough reskilling journey that I can get there, you know, in say six to 12 months. Yeah. And so one of the jobs that uh, came out of the corridor, and I, I chuckle a little because I remember the room of engineers when I said this to them, uh, that a roofer, if you looked at all jobs, not jobs in their organization, but all jobs in the economy where they operated, that a roofer was a decent fit in terms of skills gap. I could go get my certificate from TAFE quite quickly and be ready for that building certificate. Um, but the, the actions in my job were quite similar and my, my abilities were quite similar. Where they varied were things like uh, uh, you know, working on a roof meant I needed a level of agility that's different than on a shop floor. Okay, so yeah, so the, the differences and the nuance in the two jobs were things that could be learned and taught. And so this business actually took these, these, this set of skills, these people, and used them to build a new organization, uh, a new opportunity unfolded on the back of you know, uh, a product they were taking to market and, and a set of people they could apply to that uh, go to market and that, that business. So for me, that's like anytime we can see that, you know, we sometimes say that, that that bit of a holy grail where I can take jobs at risk and then apply them to jobs I need to the future or to new business opportunities as my whole you know, market might be evolving. Yeah. that's well you can't ask for a much better outcome than that no i mean what a beautiful win-win for everyone right and i i love that terminology you have their job corridors i really like that because it's a nice visual kind of wording to explain how you you jump across from one to mm -hmm. the other right so i guess 
one thing that pops to mind, right, having done this for many, many years, um, you've probably seen or identified patterns where there's some jobs that are more at risk than others, right? Um, do you have like a top two, a top one, a top three of what type of jobs those generally are? And for maybe some of the viewers or listeners who might be in one of those roles at the moment, do you have any guidance or advice for them? Well, it, it, it varies just so much from one industry to the next and, and job to job, I suppose. Uh, but I think maybe the, the call out is there are folks in jobs that think they're quite safe. You know, they, they needed a uni degree to get them and uh, they, they've got pretty high end skills. Um, and so there's a, a bit of, I don't know, uh, I get relaxed in that and I, I feel comfort in that. But the reality is, I mean, you talk about accountants would fit in that mold, right? And the reality is those jobs are as, as at risk as many others. We've, we've seen RPA coming in and replacing those mundane tasks yeah. uh, and repetitive tasks uh, quite clearly. Um, I mean, the good news for that type of role is that it's a highly skilled um, individual that can be applied rapidly to other opportunities, uh, things like cybersecurity, for example, which, which is actually a, a you know, quite an anomaly. Many people don't see that pathway, that job corridor, but it is very viable. And we, we have seen that firsthand, that kind of transition. Uh, but yeah, I think any job where you're, you're in that mundane, repetitive task, one time after time after time, every day the same, yeah, those are the top of the list for any, you know, any good intelligent automation team is going to be looking at that because of the, the benefit they can bring to that organization, allowing me as the individual doing that mundane task yeah. to stop doing it. And to start doing things that are uh, more uh, human in nature, more impactful on the business, things that can't be replicated uh, by technology. So, yeah, I think that understanding this could be any job uh, is, is part of the, 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 the learning here. Uh, and it varies dramatically. You talk about a nurse, um, you know, the nurses aren't being automated, right? It's the last thing that's going to happen in this world. And all a lot of our healthcare um, clients, you know, are using Fathom to identify how they augment nurses because the most we can get out of this is and the best we can get out of this is more patient care time yeah. right how can i take away scheduling and paperwork from the nurse so that we have more patient care time that's the again the, the great outcome that we're striving for but i think the main thing here is this changes job to job specifically based on the tasks within those jobs the skills in those jobs uh, so my advice in, in every case uh, i suppose to, to anyone <laughs> is first of all the cavalry is not necessarily coming to save you. Uh, so we all have, as individuals, have a role here. Yes, your, your organization is hopefully and likely looking to help in this process, and your government is likely to help in this process, but you also as an individual uh, has a role, have a role to play in this, to, to look after yourself. So this create awareness and then find those opportunities to where you can keep yourself learning uh, throughout the course of this. And learning to learn is probably... <laughs> One of the main takeaways I'll give to anyone in this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And we just had a team meeting on Friday where we were talking about that concept of continual learning and just kind of upskilling and that type of thing. So certainly, certainly really very relevant, right? Um, one of the other things that I was just thinking about there, I mean, obviously, um, many of the viewers and listeners might have younger children, right? And you often hear in the press, you hear about, well, there's all these different skills of the future. I'd love to get your insight on that. I mean, do you think there's our specific skills of the future we need to teach the younger mm -hmm. generation? Yes, I mean, I, I didn't share this at the beginning, but my my uh, kind of personal passion project for the last 15 odd years have, have been in the kind of youth uh, STEAM and STEM 
uh, arena uh, across Australia. I've, I've chaired a few grassroots movements and I've worked with ministers uh, on this topic. Uh, I think the first thing is there was a fallacy created uh, by um, uh, folks about three, four years ago that learning to code was the savior. Just teach everyone to code and we'll be fine. And that, that is not the, the actual, it was an easy statement at the time, but that, that's not actually true. Um, so what we do is we look at, you know, what are those future capabilities? What are the things that no technology known today and likely over the next five, 10 years can replace, replicate, et cetera. So if I could boil it down to those future capabilities, if I had those, you know, I'm looking pretty good uh, as we go into this future. Uh, so we look at the every known skill and we boil it into just those kind of future-proof capabilities. Many of them line up on, on these kind of truly human attributes, you know, things yeah. like um, creativity and empathy and uh, critical thinking and problem solving. Uh, but there's also a group of uh, leadership skills and, you know, being able to have agility uh, in making uh, leadership decisions. Um, there's collaboration skills, how to collaborate with people, uh, and truly, there are also some kind of technical uh, future capabilities, data and digital literacy that will, again, keep me out in front of this impact. Uh, so if I can take that group and say, can I apply that, uh, you know, then I have got a, a really positive outcome in that future. And, you know, one of those capabilities is learning to learn. Absolutely. To say that again, it, it can't be uh, overemphasized. I think learning to learn because you're going to have to do it for the rest of your career yeah. uh, is critical, but it's not, yeah, back to, it's not just about learning to code. That, that's not the outcome here. And one of my, one of my favorite stories to reinforce this was uh, a big bank we worked for uh, was implementing technology that was going to replicate their call center workers. And the new job they wanted to hire for was a conversation engineer. And you know, I think the HR team's first response to that was, what, what the heck is in a conversation engineer, <laughs> yeah. first of all? Uh, but, but then it was, you know, where do I find it? Where do I find the skills for that? And the reality was the skills were needed were a combination of technology capability, understanding AI, not being able to write AI code, but understanding how AI works. So having that STEM, you know, that technology background, but also creativity and creative writing. Yeah. So that was the other skill set needed because I need to teach the AI how to talk like a human, how to know when to pause and, and listen, effectively taking in information so that that AI that was being applied in the call center could actually converse well with other humans uh, or with humans in order to take information and suggest actions. And so uh, if I think back to young people and students, you know, that combination of technology, but also design and creativity and creative writing that they have to come together uh, for a successful outcome yeah yeah and this whole education the future of work it's definitely an interesting topic and i often uh, i have a bit of a passion project in that place as well right but you often look to some of the nordic countries and what they're doing right and they are teaching coding as one of the things but i often think that's like problem solving and critical thinking and all of those types of patterns you want to teach people but then they also do things like agile methodologies using scrums and tribes where they continually share and collaborate on information um and when they're free to say hey i actually don't know something 
here and that's why we're going to use the power of the community, right, and crowdsource and bring in those different skills. Um, so, yeah, I personally believe now more than ever, continuing learning um, is absolutely key. The traditional kind of bachelor's degrees, um, those, in my opinion, will probably change into things like micro-credentialing and some universities have already even started some of these programs, right? So it's certainly a, a very, very interesting space to see how it might evolve. But talking about education, right, I know there's been a really exciting announcement on your side over the last few days. So what can you share with the viewers and listeners today? Yeah, Sean, I guess uh, it's been one of the most exciting weeks, I suppose, in, in the journey. Uh, we, we announced uh, the uh, acquisition of Fathom by uh, Pearson um, out of the UK, uh, which was, uh, you know, super exciting, obviously, for for me as a, as a founder, but uh, also for our team uh, and what it means for our customers and our, and our partners uh, all over the world. So yeah, been a pretty pretty crazy week as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, well, mate, congratulations to you and the team, and we cannot wait to see how things unfold with uh, Fathom joining the Pearson Learning Team. And as we said, I mean, I think it's a perfect kind of match that's come together. So, wishing you and the team all the very best of luck over the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. I'm sure you're going to do some amazing stuff together. All right, so um, a truly fascinating topic. Really appreciate your invaluable insights and kind of sharing your knowledge in this space. If people wanted to find out a bit more about Fathom, where do they go to? How can they get in contact? Yeah, you bet. Uh, look, you, you might need a, a lesson in the spelling, but uh, fathom.ai, F-A-E-T-H-M.ai. That's the, the best way to find out more. All right, excellent. Okay, good. Well, great. Thanks for sharing your insights there. But now on to one of my favorite parts of these episodes, right? We call it the hot seat, right? And uh, for our viewers and listeners who may not have listened to one of these before, the hot seat is where we fire off quick questions to Greg and get some of his answers. So Greg, strap in. Uh, good luck. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So first question, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, a Los Angeles Laker. Oh, good effort. I hope you're still getting out there a, a little bit and playing some basketball here and there, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. What is something on your bucket list that you have actually done? Ah, uh, uh, one of my favorite years. I lived in Italy for a year. Uh, it was always something I wanted to do. And yeah, got to tick that off early on. Uh, awesome. I spent uh, a number of years in Europe. Whereabouts in Italy did you live? I was in Rome. In Rome, one of my favorite, all-time favorite cities. I encourage anyone to go visit it. It's an amazing, amazing city. All right, next one, staying on the bucket list trend. What is something that's on your bucket list that you haven't managed to do just yet? <laughs> Coming back to my my uh, my LA Laker comment, <laughs> um, uh, I dunk the basketball by the time I turn, uh, was supposed to be 50, but now I'm afraid it's going to be before I turn 60. So dunk by 60, that's my, uh, that's my hashtag. Dunk by 60, I like it. We might have to get you dunkby60.com, get you a bit of a following <laughs> going on and uh, cheering you on from the sideline. Um, all right, next one. Uh, what are you reading at the moment? So this could be currently something that you're reading or maybe a book that you've read that's had a, a massive influence on you in your life. Uh, look, I, I like to spend my reading time with, uh, you know, just pure uh, fun. So I'm reading The Survivors uh, by Jane Harper. She's uh, uh, she wrote the uh, book, The Dry, which uh, got turned into a movie. So another another Aussie-based thriller. Nice. Beautiful. And last but not least, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, ho hopefully as someone who left with no regrets, uh, whether it was you know, their, 
their family, their friends, their, their work or their passions, that there was nothing left uh, unanswered a question that no regrets. Yeah, what a beautiful answer. Great. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your unbelievable knowledge in this space. Um, just before we say goodbye, is there anything else that you'd like to leave the viewers and listeners with? Oh, just keep on learning, mate. Keep on learning. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, brilliant. Greg, listen, thank you once again for your time. We'll be cheering you guys on from the sidelines and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks so much, Sean. Be part of the community and join the Automation Alliance at www.automationalliance.com.